Welcome to the Keeney Interviews. Through this series, you will meet leading practitioners from the water sector and hear their stories. Together, we will address water challenges and discuss how best to face them. Keeney is the Malaysian word for current, and this initiative promotes the flow of ideas within the water sector. Welcome to today's Kinney interview with Christy Davis, who is the executive director of the Asia P3 Hub, which is a organization under the umbrella of World Vision. In this interview, Christy and I talk about combinatorial innovation, which is something I had never heard of before and learned quite a bit about through the process of this interview. Uh, we also speak about new ways to address water challenges through different financing mechanisms, which I find to be a very timely topic, something that has been coming up quite a bit at the conferences that I've been attending. Christy speaks about the work of the Asia P3 Hub in addition to some of the approaches to partnering that the Asia P3 Hub is working to do throughout the region, and What's coming next? This is a new initiative. It's at its very earliest stages, so it's great to have this conversation at the ground floor as this is growing. And with that, I hope you'll enjoy this interview with Christy Davis, and I'm Karen Delfo. So Christy, thanks so much for joining me and speaking with me about the Asia P3 Hub. It's really great to have you here sharing your stories. Thank you so much, Karen. It's lovely to be here. I'm hoping we can get started with a little bit of introduction about your background, uh, your history with World Vision, and the kind mm. of what's led you to what you're doing now. Yeah, it's it's been quite a journey. So, yeah, so I've, let's see, I've been with World Vision for about six and a half years. I'm based in Singapore. I support uh, the Asia region. We have a regional office here. Prior to World Vision, actually, I have years in the private sector, as well as some stints with public sector and uh, UNDP as well, after the Asian tsunami. So, Asia's been my home for, gosh, 27 years or something like that now. So, uh, it's uh, it's a wonderful part of the world, and it's, it's just great to be able to have had a number of careers out here and that and then what I'm finding is that all of the different things I've done in the past nothing's wasted as we're now launching this new Asia P3 hub in, initiative so yeah it's it's uh, it's it's been quite an adventure I'd like to start by speaking a little bit about combinatorial innovation how is it different <laughs> from other kinds of innovation and I read an article um, by John um, gosh a couple of years ago and he references that innovative changes will not be made through necessarily or eureka moments where something's, you know, kind of invented from scratch, but that they'll be the result of combinatorial innovation, which is where um, different components or technologies or ideas are combined together in an existing technologies are combined in a new way to create something new. And Elkington uh, referenced the jet engine as a really great example of combinatorial innovation where you had a, um, a I think it was a, a turbine, a combustion chamber, and a compressor. And those were existing technologies at the time, but hadn't been put together. You put them together and voila, you get the jet engine, right? So there's lots and lots of examples of combinatorial innovation, especially since the Industrial Revolution where you started to have interchangeability, you know, of parts in particular. Um, so that actually, when I when I heard that, I thought, okay, that's 
that's actually far less intimidating for me to think about how we can create innovative new solutions to old intractable problems. Instead, because I, I don't think of myself as necessarily that innovative per se, but if I could bring what I have and, and, and others can bring what they have and we look at combining those in new ways, then there's this marvelous co-creation approach to, to creating something new and meaningful that could, that could change lives. That was the beginning with combinatorial innovation for me, and then that's just become a key part of the fabric of Asia P3 Hub. And we have found it has been a, a compelling a magnet, shall I say, for others. We do all sorts of things now. We have getting combinatorial events, and it, it's a lot of fun. So I guess this would be a good time to introduce the Asia P3 Hub and, and speak a little bit about its objectives and activities and what it's done over the last year. Right. So we turned uh, one year old. We launched on July 11th. 2016, the Asia P3 Hub brings together, uh, so the three sectors, private sector, public sector, and civil society. So civil society meaning NGOs, non-governmental organizations, not-for-profits, academia, community-based organizations, to come together to explore new ways to solve old problems, basically. Uh, so we, we, everything that we, every, everything we do is a, is multi, is around multi-sector partnerships. So we broker um, and facilitate uh, cross-sector or multi-sector partnerships to produce new solutions that are market-driven. So uh, there's a lot of, we don't want to be just another development, you know, project um, as we are hosted by World Vision. We're hosted by World Vision, but we are operating separately. We're basically a kind of setting up a, a social enterprise, a social venture, I'd say. So we are looking for market-driven solutions that are co-created that can be then implemented in countries in Asia, and we're piloting this operating model, water sanitation and hygiene. So P3 stands for people, public, and private. So in this world of water and sanitation, I think there are so many opportunities in terms of collaboration and solutions. How has the P3 Hub started to bring together unlikely partners and kind of find some solutions and start to think a little bit more differently within this framework of combinatorial innovation. Yeah, I mean, I think, I guess the first piece is how do we define innovation? So, you know, what's innovation to me? I said in Singapore, Singapore, Singapore is a hydro hub. One of the reasons we're here and one of the reasons we chose water or wash as a pilot is because Singapore is a hydro hub. Very forward, you know, PUB, their water agency is very forward looking. They have 100%, you know, potable tap water, um, 100% modern sanitation. I mean, it's an amazing place um, around water technology. I think that in water, in sanitation in particular as well, you find that a lot of the challenges aren't actually technical. They're relationship challenges, governance challenges. Is that a right. correct assumption? The solutions, technical solutions, technology, it's out there. I mean, it's out there. We have, we have it. Getting it to the places or, or harnessing it in a way that can be accessed by all who need it is another story. I mean, another another thing. So so let's take desalination as an example. Great solution. We've got Asia. You think about all these coastlines and all these countries. I mean, there's water, water everywhere, but not a drop to drink, right? And so there's just a a lack of freshwater access for many countries. Here's, you know, they're, they're on the seaside. So how do we create an affordable, accessible and profitable desalination solution for countries and people 
Right now, it's very expensive. We have a lot of folks that say, okay, we're going to default de- to desalination as a solution. But actually, it may not be the solution. One, it's really expensive, right? And so it may work for Singapore because Singapore is well-resourced. But how do you get it into countries um, that cannot afford it, number one? Number two, is it the right solution? There may be others that are, you know, catch, you know, rain. Maybe there's a lot of, so I was just in Myanmar and we see they have a rainy season. So how do you catch all of that, you know, rainy season water in a sense and make it accessible in a dry season? Season. You don't need to be putting up a desalination plant, you know, on the on the coastline of, of, of Myanmar to be able to do that. So I think it's one of the things that we have. We have these co-creation. We host these co-creation workshops, and we have a lot of conversations around what is practical, meaningful, um, and 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 can be owned by communities in countries and don't necessarily require, you know, others to come in and say, oh, you know, here's a here's a big, you know, fancy technological solution. It's not necessarily that, you know, it could be a fog catcher for heaven's sake. So what we're finding, I guess it's back to the point of what is innovation? What innovation is for me sitting in Singapore or, you know, you sitting in, in California could be very different for a community um, sitting in Indonesia or the Philippines, you know, or Bangladesh. And so I think that's where we need to be thinking about what's, you know, contextualizing everything that we do and looking at and making sure that communities and people that live in communities that need these solutions, that they're involved in the conversation and in the co-creation process of the solutions that will change their lives. It sounds like you're using a different, almost a different lens to come at some of the governance challenges around water and sanitation to have mm. a more of a positive approach. It's like, let's bring these people together and have this conversation about what is innovation? Um, how can we use this concept of common? I think a key opportunity is bringing the private sector in and bringing government in and local government in from the very beginning with communities, bringing us all into the same space. It's a different conversation when we talk about okay, here's a community or communities that have no services. So let's say they don't have access to, there's no piped water. Uh, There may not even be a well nearby. They may be walking um, to gather water, to to get water. So, but if you bring everyone together and start to explore together and start at the beginning together, as opposed to, you know, bringing government in or bringing private sector in at the end of a conversation, um, it's it's a totally different environment. So I think some of the exciting things that we're doing is convening these conversations conversations in country with these different folks that have never they don't they don't know about each other they haven't sat in the same room before and it's eye-opening a co-creation workshop uh, last year and we had a private sector guy I won't name the company but we had a private sector guy and he had never been in the same room and had a, an intimate conversation uh, with a government official before now he's not in government affairs but he's in marketing and sales and so and we had you know, local community folks and local practitioners, um, some of our wash folks were in there that work in communities. Eye-opening. Later on, he's saying, oh my goodness, I just never knew this. I never imagined. And so I think we get we get ahead of ourselves with our sophistication sometimes. And let's go back and start at basics and bring folks in at the beginning to have a conversation and co-create um, solutions from the beginning together. Then you have, you have buy-in, you understand the challenges, there's an opportunity to create an equitable solutions and equitable opportunities and we can work on language well the other thing we find is that we talk very differently and i know this is this is nothing new but even if we're saying um we use the word profit you know pro- you know private sector will use profit and then an, an ngo will say oh my gosh we're not about profit but if we talk about benefits 
you know, that there's a shared value for everybody. For the corporate, it may be profit, but for the community, it will there will be life-changing benefits because they're not having to, you know, if they have a piped solution, you know, they're not walking for water anymore and they save hours of, you know, of, of time being more productive in some other way. So, so I think part of it is also thinking about how we communicate and taking the time to just build those relationships that will allow us then to partner in new ways, which create new types of solutions, which may be completely innovative for one, and maybe not innovative at all for somebody else. But the fact that we're co-creating it together, I think, in of itself is an innovative I'm wondering about the um, the business or the private sector getting involved in this conversation because it's true being represented in some of this co-creation conversation. Or, And how has that been? Have they been open to being a part of this? Have they seen that there is financial benefit for them in order to engage in this process and figure out how to find these solutions? How has that been? Yeah. Actually, we've been so encouraged that any time that we an event we call them getting our getting combinatorial events just to explore the principles of multi-sector partnering we have a great we have a huge line out the door so it's wonderful we actually have found that private sector is very keen to explore beyond CSR. And I'm lumping private sector altogether, and I shouldn't do that because multinationals have resources there. They tend to be further along the, that journey, that partnering journey, because they have the resources and probably because they've gone through a CSR, a corporate social responsibility um, process, which they may still have. But what we find, especially for multinationals, they're wanting to, and I think a lot of it may be employee-driven, they want to do meaningful, impactful work as well as make a profit and, and be a viable business. So uh, and that turns it in, that moves from a more of a transactional approach into a transformational approach with other partners. So instead of just, okay, here's, you know, a, an employee volunteering thing where you go and you, 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 you paint a school or something like that, instead of, okay, let's look at how do we partner with that school? What other needs do they have? What other things can we do that would be a journey with that school that could that could provide more um, sustainable impact over time. And so I think that that desire to move beyond transaction into a true co-created shared value approach, a partnership approach where we're talking, you know, five, 10, 15 year relationships, uh, we're definitely having uh, more of those conversations. I'll give you a concrete example. We um, one of our uh, partners is the Kohler Company. And Kohler Company is an American privately held, they, they do a number of fixtures company. They do, you know, great, they're a very, a wonderful brand of, you know, of fixed bath fixtures, for example, kitchen fixtures. Um, and they have other businesses as well. Um, but obviously in the wash space, we've partnered with them. World Vision has a global relationship with them and a global partnership of many years. And we've been exploring how do we leverage this well-established, trusted partnership in Asia? How can we how can we leverage that for new, meaningful, impactful work together? And so we're on this journey exploring this together. And we had a recent conversation in Thailand where we were talking to the Kohler Thailand and the World Vision Thailand folks. We're all in a room uh, because Kohler will celebrate 15 years in Thailand. So they're going to work with World Vision Thailand and it's Kind of, there's we're choosing where we've got 15 schools and we're in, in programs that World Vision supports and looking at okay, what what can we be doing? You know, what's some wash stuff that we could do together um, that would that would support the, the objectives of uh, and the the objectives of the the development programs that there's already ongoing. But one of the Kohler we're sitting one of the Kohler folks said, you know, let's not just look at these schools. Let's we should just this isn't just about you know 
getting getting toy you know getting latrines into schools or hand washing stations into schools let's look at something that could be you know really meaningful over time let's look at let's look at 10 years and i'm thinking here i here i am you know with with development practitioners and private sector in a room and the private sector saying what can we do that 10 years from now we could see transformational outcomes in the lives of children in thailand i mean how amazing is that so I think the conversations, uh, we're seeing conversations changing, and that's so exciting to be part of an exploration process where together we say, okay, we don't exactly know what this is going to look like, but let's start the conversation now so that 10 years from now, together we can go, wow, look at how you know, lives have changed, including our own, but look at, look at how lives have changed. And it's good business. It's good development. It's good for communities. Mark, can you ask that you have the opportunity to partner together to, you know, to impact uh, communities um, and societies in a possible in a positive way? So that's it's marvelous. I'm thinking, and this is it's not just multinationals. It's also mid-sized companies um, and smaller companies that see, especially with the younger, you know, the millennials and younger people, younger than me, are coming in saying, "Yes, I want to make a, a good living, uh, but actually, I want to make a difference." And that that those voices are now getting, you know, loud. It's not just a, an anecdote. It's like, okay, we have got to make sure that we are not just providing a great place to work, but that we're providing more opportunities beyond just the service or product that we sell. I'm surrounded by millennials. I think about some of the the Chamber of Commerce events that I, I attend, you know, industri- industry uh, events, different things around Singapore uh, and the region, and there's no question that um, millennials, actually in staff and, and employees in general, just see the ch- see the see the problems of the world and see the opportunities that coming together you know we can make a change and we can we can successfully we can positively impact i see I, i'm surrounded by people who want to make a difference at the end of the day how do we harness that for the good you know for me of the region and of the world and it sounds like the asia p3 hub has really found its role as a catalyst when we started out you know it's we started out we're, we're an initiative or it's a kind of a proof of concept is there a way that we can create a space where we can, an open space where we can bring together the sectors, public, private, and people, as it were, uh, for multi, you know, an open space for multi-sector collaboration. How can we tackle effects of, of poverty, you know, through partnerships across, you know, government and private sector and civil society? And that was that was our aspirations. With okay, what does that look like? Um, so we have very specific uh, strategic objectives. We build a business plan. We have a strategy and a business plan as a social business would, um, moving from that kind of project idea to let's create, um, you know, a venture here, whatever that's going to look like. I really see that. What you've done is you've identified that there is this drive, but people haven't really been able to, you know, put all the pieces together and that the Asia P3 hub is acting as a catalyst to to really bring everyone together and get this thing kickstarted and create, foster maybe a space for these different, you know, PPPs to come together and and actually yeah. have a productive conversation. So as we built our business plan, we looked at what are our strategic objectives to accomplish. Obviously, we are all about brokering multi-sector partnerships that are producing impactful results as defined by the partners, not by us, not by World Vision, um, but by the partners themselves, right? And 
so they have to be it has to be good business of course um, but it's built on shared value um, principles and uh, corporate you know transparency mutual benefit equity um, those are all embedded in the partnership process and in the outcomes that that partnership would produce and the agreement that would be brokered um, and is brokered but I would say also we definitely see ourselves as a the hub as an ecosystem builder and facilitator so in, I mean, and obviously our, our focus is Asia Pacific, but we see there is a growing ecosystem of organizations that are and individuals that are out there navigating, intentionally navigating a multi-sector space. So they're, they're in, if you're, you may be government, they're re, but they're reaching out to private sector. They're reaching out to social entrepreneurs. They're reaching out to development practitioners and and civil society in some ways, we, but it's also happening in the private sector. They're intentionally reaching out to the other sector. And just like NGOs, I would say, especially the bigger NGOs, we're all realizing the landscape has changed. You know, funding and resources are out there, but they're not in the same places anymore. So it may not just be going to the UN or to a government and saying, man, I have a grant and let me go forth and, and do good work. It's not that, that's definitely changing. We are pooling, it's truly a, I think, an, an era of pooling resources in new ways. And that includes also bringing in the impact investment community. I think there's lots of, of investors out there that are looking for investable opportunities that make good business sense but provide impact in, as well. I'm hoping you can speak a bit more about impact investing because it's <laughs> definitely something that I keep coming across. And I oh. think that there's there's actually a lot to explore in that space. And, and really what I like is, you know, we're basically throwing out the, the paradigm of being a grantee and getting some money to go do some good work. It's like a whole other way of thinking about funding the good work that we need to do. And I'm hoping you can talk a little bit more about that in your experience. One of the things I'm learning about is impact investing and the value of that. And one of the exciting things for us, we are actually, so Asia P3 Hub works out of a co-workspace in Singapore, a really fun place called Collision 8. And it's all about, it's called Collision because it's all about people and ideas colliding um, to create new innovative solutions and innovative business opportunities. And at the co-workspace are a number of venture philanthropists and representatives, say, of family offices, venture capitalists, but also impact investors. And so we do have an impact investor that's one of um, an advisor, a business advisor for the hub. And he has helped us a lot think about, it's kind of that targeting that missing middle where you've got you know, microfinance institutions that are providing, you know, those those smaller loans, I mean, really small loans, $100, $200, $300 or something. Um, and then you've got banks that provide big financing, you know, for, for, for organizations that have a, a proven track record. But what about that missing middle with those people um, in the middle that need a five or a 10 or a $15,000 you know, loan or the opportunities that are, that, are, that are in there? Those I think are often areas where we find impact investors are kind of interested in, in, in looking at. So we learning as we go, but our impact investor um, consult, you know, uh, advisors definitely tell us that there are they there's the funds are out there the investments um the, the investments are waiting to happen they're just looking for really viable robust um investable enterprises and opportunities so this is something that we are it's on our list of priorities to continue to learn about um what impact investing could um, options could look like um, in our in, in the Asia P3 community and network um, and how we can then also harness the power of that. So uh, we're learning as we go as well. 
And I think for just for the people who aren't familiar with this term and how it works, basically impact investing has to do with looking at an investment as being a loan that gets paid back because it has a strong business plan. It's going to be generating income. That money comes back with some mm-hmm. additional funds. So in a sense, when you give an organization a loan within the scheme of impact investing, you're investing your funds and that organization pays you back with a little bit more and instead of it being sitting in a bank and doing nothing per se or Mm. um, being invested in maybe some other volatile markets or some other ways that you can invest your funds real estate etc it's it's going towards solving the problems of the world yeah i mean so you you'll have a so it's obviously it's an intention to generate a measurable return from a financial perspective but you've also got a, a measurable uh, benefit social or um, environmental um, impact as well. So, and that's why you've got it's kind of a win-win-win. You you probably will have a longer horizon, and your return may not be as strong as if it was just a pure financial investment. But um, we find uh, impact investors are looking at they're quantifying basically that that social and environmental impact along with a financial uh, return. So, it is very exciting. So I guess something else I was as, as I was just thinking about is, as as we were talking earlier about being a catalyst, and it's something I read a really interesting essay um, by uh, he's a public servant here in Singapore. His name is Aaron Manium, and he wrote an essay last year called "Beyond a Scarcity Mindset: A Letter from My Future Self," and he talked about generative resources, and I had I had never thought about resource generative resources uh, before and what that what that means we definitely have an open philosophy we want to be open IP um, yes we need to figure out what our what our, you know our revenue streams and how we're going to be a self-sustaining enterprise but we want to be open because we definitely believe the more open we are the more there is for everyone including us and so how do we embrace a mindset of of openness of generosity of abundance and frankly of kindness and have our actions, that our actions would illustrate and represent that those values that we hold. And when I read Aaron Manium's essay, he talks about these are called generative resources. He said resources like data and networks and relationships are generative because the more they're used, the more we have and the better it becomes. And that actually was kind of a pivotal. I was like, wow, that is that's amazing. Data, you know, data begets more data. Knowledge catalyzes new knowledge, and strong social capital that underpins relationships benefits from being tended, kind of like you you tend a, a garden. Um, you know, you, peri- you you prune periodically, and then actually your flower, your 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 plant grows back even stronger. So. I just love that idea of generative resources. And so I think as we move forward, that's why I think being combinatorial, combining our resources and sharing our resources in a new way, the more we share in a smart, equitable, transparent, mutually beneficial way, um, I believe that one plus one, I was going to say one plus one equals three, but somebody recently said one plus one actually equals 11. (laughs) So, uh, you know, the more there is for everybody, including including us. Yeah. I think about like working for an NGO and we think about the way we've always worked and, you know, the donor landscape changes is changing, has changed. So we think, okay, there's less out there. What do we do? And so I think, wait a minute, let's let's when I when I when I think about how do we move beyond a scarcity mindset into, okay, wait a minute. But yeah, but the landscape is shifted. But What's that? What are the resources out there? They're different. So that's, 
you know, the ground is moving under our feet. And that's a little bit, yeah, you have to kind of think, okay, okay, let me, let me think about this. What's going on? We can't go to, you know, resource A anymore, but what else is out there? And, it, and I think that's where bringing new, new types of creating uncommon relationships and uncommon partnerships. And it's like it sparks ideas. And the coolest thing for me, I have to say the coolest thing for me, Karen, is when I leave one of our conversations or an event or a workshop and I think, wow, I never thought of that before. You know, that is the coolest thought when it's like somebody says something and I'll just go, huh, I never thought of that before. That is the opposite of scarcity. That is like it was scarcity to me in a sense of I had never thought of it. But here's somebody else that is plugging that hole and filling the hole, you know. Um, And so I think if we can just, you know, move beyond, just I think it's leaving scarcity behind. Actually, we don't have a choice anymore. You have to leave scarcity behind because there's abundance out there. There is abundance, definitely. But I think the power of the abundance is coming together in uncommon, unpredictable, uh, non-traditional ways. And so that's it's an exciting time for us. Um, I, I learn something new every day. And that's the best way to finish off a day or a week when it's like, wow, you know, I learned something this week that had never occurred to me before. And that then turns into some kind of a, that idea sparks an opportunity, sparks a new partnership, sparks a solution. If it's happening to me, I think about how, when it happens to people who are the true experts, you know, and what, what that kind of brain power and those, you know, will create when we pull it together in new and creative ways. Uh, reading in between the lines with some of the documents that are available on the Asia P3, P3 Hub, I, I realize yeah. also that there's a real impetus around building capacity within the sector. Um, yep. And it's interesting because you, you just said, <laughs> say that scarcity is no longer going to hold mm. us back from, you know, achieving. But at the same time, it does seem that there is really a scarcity within our sector of of people who are being trained and who are able to mm-hmm. provide the services that are really required. And I, whenever somebody asks me, you know, what should I do when I grow up, blah, 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 I just say, mm-hmm. no, you, there's always water. <laughs> we're going to mm-hmm. be having a mm-hmm. shortage in that field forever. So uh, mm-hmm. if that interests mm-hmm. you, please do get your education in that. Um, and yeah. I know that the Asia P3 Hub is working also to build some capacity and to get more people involved and trained in that sector. And I'm hoping you could speak a bit about that as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I think two things, I guess, we're really focused on building two kinds of capacity and capability in the region. One is it is in the wash space um, and so around water and it's looking at who is it's making sure, I shouldn't say that, um, it's looking at how can we open doors and make introductions for wash professionals and water professionals out there and kind of, you know, if we hear of, oppor- we're very, very happy to, if we hear of opportunities around the region and to be able to plug, you know, to plug professionals into the opportunities that are out there. I think the other really important capacity and capability that's needed in addition to any technical expertise that someone possesses is the ability to navigate the sectors and to partner. Um, partnering is is and uh, working with others that are not like themselves. We know a lot of folks that they're very good technical practitioners, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they know how to partner with others to leverage the expertise that they have or the resources and the expertise that they can bring to to a you know to a to a problem or a situation or an opportunity. And so we are actively building a um, a partnering boot camp. Uh, we've got a great partnership with the Partnering Initiative, which is based in the UK. 
and they've got a, a terrific curriculum, partnering curriculum and methodology that we are adopting and adapting for Asia. So that's one of the things is this boot camp is creating the practical skills around partnering itself, regardless of, of what, what your expertise is. And so then it's providing that road, that methodology, that system in which then you bring your, we, for example, our wash professionals bring that into that they're not just able to, to say, yeah, I'm a, I'm a sanitation engineer. I'm an expert in integrated wash you know, solutions. It's like, okay, what do we do with that knowledge and that technical expertise? So I think that's actually uh, creating, I think that's actually a, an area that we see a huge unity and a gap to fill in this part of the world is combining both that technical expertise with the ability to navigate across the sectors to actually develop and implement um, solutions in a sustainable way. What what does that partnering boot camp look like? And is it possible that you could share, I don't know, some of the core fundamentals of what people who would go through that would get? One of the things that we feel really strongly about is that we don't partner before we ensure that partners understand, first of all, what we see is three core principles of multi-sector partnering, and that's transparency, or trust, building trust, mutual benefit, so that there needs to be it's not a zero-sum game. If I have more and you have less, it's good. It's not that at all. It's like definitely that there's a mutual benefit and shared value for all partners. And then the third is equity, right? That it's an equitable relationship and, and there's a respect for the different resources that each partner brings to the table. The TPI has developed, it's a very systematic approach. It's a methodology, the steps, it's actually, it's very, it's a roadmap. It's building a roadmap of how you move through the getting to know you phase to finding that shared, that point that we're going to partner for and on and building the plan and the action plan and the, and how you're going to measure it and how you're going to communicate. And so it's it's all of those pieces, but it's all couched in, in partnering. We look at interest-based negotiation. You know, we look at communication and language, how we communicate and talk differently. We talk about some basics of what is collaboration. Talk about trust. How do you build trust? And we talk about how do you pool resources in new ways. So it's a, it's, a, it's a really enjoyable, we look at case studies, we wear different hats and do simple things like role play. I mean, you know, it's, so it's, and put each, put ourselves into each other's shoes can be very illuminating. So yeah, it's very interactive. I think it's a great, uh, we'll, we'll be rolling it out in the next year. So I think it's a, a great addition to our Asia P3 uh, suite of, uh, of services and products. So Christy, I'm hoping that we could speak a little bit about diversity and inclusion and how the Asia P3 hub, I think more, it sounds like more implicitly rather than explicitly is embracing diversity and in place, uh, embracing inclusivity. Can you speak about that a little bit, please? Yeah, yeah you know, it's interesting because I, until we've actually, we're talking about, you know, diversity or inclusion. I mean, I use the word diversity a lot, but it's not in the context of an agenda. You know, it's like, oh, you know, we must be inclusive. So I would say, yes, it's not an explicit kind of mantra or mandate that it just is that how can you get things done in a co-creative, creative way if you're not surrounding yourself with people that are not like you? So not like me, right? So I recognize what my strengths are um, and I'm so aware what my strengths are not. And which means if we're going to be successful as a hub and we're going to be able to reach, you know, our strategic object, our mission and our, the vision that we have for this region and the communities in this region and the change we want to be a part of and to facilitate, Boy, I better surround myself with a, with a lot of amazing people who who have the talents that and the skills and the networks and the expertise that I do not possess. So I would say from the very beginning, the first thing I thought of is what else? How are we going to get this done? And so it was very natural that I would look for people who had the skills that I didn't have. 
and that were not like me. And so, and, and I also recognize, quite frankly, what I look like. I'm a, I'm a Caucasian female. I've lived in Asia a really long time, but I'm still not Asian. I know that sometimes in the environments that I work in, I'm not the person to put up front. You know, it's my colleague who's Asian. My calling that's from the region, was born and raised in the region, not someone who has adopted the region um, for their home. And so I don't have any problem with that at all. It's the, the key is making, you know, how can we help others grow, but also you know, be appropriate um, to the environment that we're working in, uh, contextualize our approach, not just what we're doing, but how we're doing it. And it also then grows the capability of this diverse group of people that I have around me. So we're very intentional about, we're very intentional about different, so gender, it's not, not just gender, men and women, and we have men and women both, but we also are, are intentional about not just skills, but also we, we take a multi-generational approach. So it's fascinating for me to have a, a relatively traditional background. I mean, I've got a corporate background. I've done some UN work, but I've got folks, I've got a, I've got a tech guy who's in his 30s and he's, he's built a startup and sold it. And he's just, he operates in a totally way, a uh, different way than I do. You know, I've got millennials. And so I love hearing, I've got interns that are 20 and are rock stars. And it's like, okay, so together, you know, we are definitely, what is it, the expression, you know, the sum is greater than the, the, what is it, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts? I mean, it's just phenomenal. So, I, I mean, yeah, there are some days where I'm terribly uncomfortable, you know, it's like you said, what or what? I mean, I feel like I've got a new pair of shoes on that are that are squeaky and too tight. But I'll tell you, I would walk a mile in those shoes any day, the journey that they take me on. Um, it's amazing. So there's nothing better than getting to the end of a day um, or a workshop or an event or something and think, gosh, I had never thought of that before, you know, or wow. So that's how, you know, that's how opportunities and that's how combinatorial innovation, I think, really starts to take off and grow. I was at a dinner last night and uh, a woman that one of the women at the dinner she hadn't heard me you know talk about my favorite you know my favorite flavor of the decade which is combinatorial right she but she used she's a design uh, she does design think a lot of human-centered work and design she's a design uh, systems a, a design and systems thinking person and she used the term combinatorial creativity in passing and I just looked at her and I said combinatorial creativity i haven't heard that before. that's good and so we had this great conversation about is that the same thing as combinatorial innovation and and i guess the whole thing is maybe not to get caught on it but the idea is it's the combinatorial piece you're pooling everything that you have together um in new ways and that creates a creative you know outcome of some kind yeah it was very cool i'd like to leave some space to see if there's anything else that you'd like to speak about or discuss um, before we move to the closing question. Ah, you know, I just think uh, it's something, Karen, that you and I had, had just had been talking about offline when you were saying that if you, as you look at what we're doing, you said you seem to crave differences. And I just want to say thank you for saying that because I really appreciate that that you've, in, in just these conversations, that you recognize the approach of P3 Hub is all about craving differences and corralling those in a constructive, safe way that they can be turned into um, something really positive. And I just really appreciate that. So we do crave differences, crave, um, you know, just getting a little bit uncomfortable, you know, wearing those tight shoes. But gosh, every day is exciting um, and we learn so much. So yeah, thanks for my new term, craving differences. Yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting because differences are very different from disruption, which is the kind of up and coming terminology in the space. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's yeah. almost like a spectrum and you have, you have differences, <laughs> all the way up to that disruption and extreme disruption and mm. and there has to be room for all of that 
It do, there does. It, you know, it's actually sometimes it's just it's thinking about our audience and choosing our terminology because sometimes when I use that, we are disruptors. I will say it, and even within World Vision, you know, World Vision is a is a great organization, but it's been around for sixty years, and so it's in many in many quarters it's seen as a quite traditional development and humanitarian organization, and that's that's great. But we are we're just dis, we're disrupting things a bit, and sometimes that's really a positive, seen as a positive, and other times it's just disruptive right and so how can I think okay how can I be a little bit you know a little more sensitive you know and how I describe you know what we're doing and so and it's looking at you know being respectful and looking at of the audience and and, and sharing you know what we're doing in, in just a way that that can reach that can reach that audience so we, we we think about that a lot you know um, and just making sure that we tailor our messaging um, to our whether that's a community and families you know that are looking at new piping systems or or, or looking at mean how they maintain their their new water pump you know all the way to you know when I'm in a when I'm in a forum and there's you know executives and, and c-suite folks in the room so yeah so thanks for that i would like to move to the closing question which is about how people can become more informed become and get more involved or apply this this kind of approach and and the perspective that we've been talking about in the context that they work in uh, particularly uh, a lot of the audience are practitioners who are working mm. across the indo-pacific and also even more broader afield how, how can they take this approach into their workplaces or into their mm. practices I would say the first thing is, you know, you do have to be, one has to be intentional. It doesn't happen organically. It doesn't happen, and maybe for some, but in my experience, it's, it's, it may look smooth and natural and kind of organic from the outside, but frankly, um, we are very, very intentional um, about the steps that we take to work differently, which it's much easier just to, to, to do things your own way and to surround yourself with, with like-minded people or people that you know um, or that are like, and just do it your own way. Um, and that's exactly what we try not to do. Um, and so it's the first thing I, I mean, I would, I would encourage folks to ask is, okay, what, what are you doing that would benefit from a completely different idea, perspective, approach, person, personality, right? Um, so, I mean, just intentionally look around and, and, and bring someone in um, that's completely different. Uh, the second thing I think actually is start to, you use doesn't matter how big or how small your organization is or how much authority an individual has you can always use your your influence and your your power to convene and so i would say convene some convene a conversation right host a lunch put a topic out there and ask folks to bring to invite somebody that's completely different it could be out of the wash space it could be you know a totally different type of, of expertise or or sector or discipline but be intentional to anybody can host right host a lunch host a coffee you know host an event if you have those kinds of resources so i'd say those are the first two things and then think about you know what it is that you're doing that would benefit from that different approach and then frankly i'm just an old style put an action plan together you know i create a plan we create a roadmap we think about who needs to be involved and engaged and part of that is then what are the stories that one needs to tell to the people that have the power that have the influence so it could be your boss you know it could be others you know both up laterally but also the folks you know around you that that you need on board to be able to take you know a new approach forward um so a lot of times it's just it's a lot of a, a lot of um 
sometimes it's just it's just a lot of intentional conversations uh, and making sure that your your position you package things in a way that think about the language and the position of the audience and what they are able to hear so i learned very quickly i would try i would go gung ho with with what i wanted to achieve and it was far too much it was too ambitious it was too too much for someone to take in so i learned very quickly you've got to just kind of just feed you know you got to you know you got to drip feed sometimes and and feed that pipeline um, and get folks to a place in where they they are ready to hear what you have so i guess the third thing is um, we would love to have conversations. We, you know, this month we've just launched our our new uh, our website. It's really simply just www.asiap3hub.org and reach out to us. We would love to have conversation. If you're through Singapore, we'll buy you a cup of coffee and we'll sit down and, and have a chat and we'll we'll start from there. I'm wondering if you would mind just briefly to be able to deconstruct a little bit more this concept of intentionality. Intentionality. Mm. Because I think that there's a lot of different ways that you can approach intentionality. I think there's organizational intentionality. There's intentionality, uh, setting an intention before you convene your team or convene a meeting. Um, There's there's so many different levels. And how do you find to be the most effective way to really work with this concept of intention? Starts with me, and I think I've learned the hard way that when I'm not intentional, I don't achieve the desired objective of, of what I'm trying to think if I can come up with an example. You know, it, it, if I'm not intentional, I don't have the right people in the room. I don't have the right folks that would inform something that I'm working on. It's, it's in my personal life as well. You know, if I'm not intentional about cleaning up my office, it doesn't get done. So if I'm not intentional about taking care of myself and, and going out for a walk, then I don't you know, stay fit. I mean, you know, it's, it sounds really silly and simple, but it starts with me. And so then if I show that, that I'm really, if I'm, I'm thoughtful, if I'm thoughtful and, and just take a moment out, I think in, in our lives today, I'm just struck and I feel like, you know, I joke about, you know, just that I feel this last year has been like riding, riding a wild horse. And I just have to, I have to jump off that horse uh, sometimes, because if I don't, I lose perspective. I'm going a mile a minute. I'm not thinking deeply, clearly, thoughtfully, and I lose my ability to be intentional sometimes because I'm moving too fast. So I think it also means stop for a moment and and just reflect, even if it's just for a minute, you know, about uh, about things. So I wish I could come up with a, a slightly, you know, a, a more sophisticated um, answer for that one. But to be honest with you, I think it just, uh, for me, it starts with me. And if I'm not intentional and others can't see that, then then generally speaking, you know, it's if, if I'm the leader of this, then I have a responsibility um, to take that approach. I know that you're about to head over to Indonesia to convene a co-creation couple of day Mm. workshop. And I'm wondering if you could just really quickly describe what that's going to be like, how many people come, how it's structured, Mm. and maybe even the kinds of intentions that you've been setting for for this upcoming workshop, if you wouldn't be Mm. adverse to sharing them. Oh, no, because so every so yeah, so we're really excited. We'll be heading to Indonesia, the co-creation workshop in Indonesia. um, We expect probably about uh, 30 people in the room. We try not to do too many more than that simply because it stops, you know, you start to lose the intimacy because it's it's a very interactive process. So a co-creation workshop, in this case, it's actually one full day. And we start with um, introducing the basics of what multi-sector partnerships are. And so we talk about what it means when you're you know, intentionally reaching out, use the word again, when we're intentionally reaching out beyond ourselves. So in this case, beyond, a, let's say, an NGO, 
into other sectors. So private sector, academia, um, you know, entrepreneurs, um, impact investors, uh, private uh, private sector of of all kinds. You know, whether it's an entrepreneur or whether it's a, an SME or or a multinational, um, and of course the government. Um, and what does that mean? What are the tools and the processes and the the just even the, the it's basically the essentials of partnering. It's the essentials of partnering. We, we start with that, and then we look at the context of the country that we're in. So in this case, we've done some research and some landscape uh, kind of reviews of Indonesia. Uh, that's in partnership, of course, with World Vision Indonesia, which has a, a massive landscape, I mean, a massive presence there, and they've been around for a long time. But we don't, we don't just stop there. I mean, we do a lot of other research so that we can come in and say, okay, here's what we see for Indonesia. Indonesia tells us that as well. I mean, so we've got in there, it, Almost everybody's Indonesian, and so I mean, well, there's a lot of space for individual uh, sharing about what the. I mean, it's a guided conversation to, to, to kind of establish this is where we stand today. This is our current state um, today. These are the key challenges, challenges and issues we have around wash in Indonesia. And then we look at okay, well, what's the preferred future? And that's from so we look at what are what's what's the government saying? Are there government um, policies or there is there does the government have strategic priorities that have been publicly stated? So then how can the rest of us come alongside and help achieve those together? Right. So that would be that would be one. And then we spent looking at just what Asia P three. So we're based in Singapore. So what does that mean for Indonesia? So we we unpack that what we hear and see and the opportunities um, that we can bring and leverage that would be from Singapore. And then it's very interactive. So we talk, we use a kind of a partnering methodology and uh, we explore the actual cycle of partnering with actual specific examples of the kinds of ideas that we're exploring. Yeah, and so then we pull apart, we kind of do some some symptom and root cause analysis, pull things apart, uh, build some simple, uh, build some simple, do some stakeholder analysis, um, who's engaged, um, and then how we would take things forward. There's all, and there's always, a, the first, actually, I was gonna say there's always a call to action, and actually that's not true. Often the first time, in a conversation, like a co-creation conversation, we'll often have not, there won't be a call to action. The call to action is simply um, the fact that we've got folks in a room that have never been in a room before. It's a getting to know you. And this particular workshop is beyond that now. There will be a call to action of, okay, what are we going to do together? We may be a little uncomfortable. We may not exactly know what to do next, but we're going to help facilitate this process to to, to do something new and different um, that could have exponential impact uh, for Indonesia. And is getting everybody aligned on the the vision of the future, in a sense, really mm. a critical step? Because I could see how maybe, again, some people are probably not thinking in terms of mm-hmm. exponential possibility. Uh, so that could also hold back a process. Is that is that really a critical? It's important not to get caught on the tools for the sake of, you know, tools and, and, and methodologies. So it's focusing on what's the problem we want to solve? What's the impact that we want to have? What do we do about this? You know, and, and so here's the problem, but what's the future look like that we want the preferred future? Um, and then you, we, we back it up. So actually, to be honest with you, it's, it's a lot of, uh, there's not really any shortcuts. It's a lot of nitty gritty, you know, thrashing things about, you know, doing some analysis. And it's a lot of, you know, you have a day, right? So it's there's a lot that will take place after we leave the room. You know, you're not going to come in and 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 solve, you know, solve solve it all right there. But I would say actually, we, as long as it's a well guided, well facilitated process where you keep people on track, because everybody, we, it's so easy to go off on tangents, and you realize that you've been, you know, thrashing things about and focusing on, on details and, and things that that aren't actually necessarily germane. They're important, but they're not germane for the conversation at hand. So, so a tightly facilitated. You know, I should say tightly. You know, well facilitated uh, process is is really important. So so far, yeah, we have some pretty amazing conversations. Um, and as long as we just 
kind of, you know, take people through a logical process forward, but allow space for creativity and kind of getting out of the box and giving people permission to be uncomfortable and to expect the unexpected, then we're, we're almost always... Uh, very, very pleased with the outcomes, and we'll say at the end, we'll say, you know, okay, if you if you if you enjoyed the day, but you don't want to be, you don't feel it's the time is right to be a part of this moving forward, no problem, you know. But if you've got an offer, you know, to make, you know, or if you've got a commitment that you'd like, to, you know, like to make, then by all means, let's put it on the table. And uh, so that's, I think, I think it's been a very good. So far, we're learning every time. We learn something new every time. Um, but uh, we're we're enjoying the process immensely. Keeney is an initiative of the Australian Water Partnership and the International Water Centre Alumni Network. Keeney connects water managers and shares knowledge throughout the Asia-Pacific. Visit our website at keeney.org.au for more information and for videos, articles, news and more.